From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back. We're now at number two of this live broadcast. Thank you guys for joining us. And I talked uh, earlier in the hour, uh, first hour anyway, about the weather. Uh, the weather is always a big topic of discussion. As the Iowa caucuses are underway, the GOP primaries are officially out of the gates and it looks like trump is going to come home with a comfortable victory we'll see how the uh results will be tabulated this evening uh so keep your eyes about in four or five hours you'll start to see exit polls you'll start to see some tabulations as they go through the night at the iowa caucuses it's not one man one vote like the other primary states iowans do it a little bit different they have a caucus uh, system there so trump number one who's going to be number two it's uh ron DeSantis who's burned through uh, something like upwards of $200 million of campaign donations and super PAC funds for what, for what toggling for second place with the shrill Nikki Haley. That is talk about a waste of money, but Hey, the donors have got money to burn. So there you are. Um, anyway, uh, he'll be fighting out with Nikki. I'll probably give Nikki the nod. Uh, she's done a kind of a makeover recently. She's starting to dress more feminine, wearing dresses, talking about domestic issues more. She's toned down the sort of warmongering rhetoric. Her focus groups and consultants have told her to kind of dial that down a little bit, especially in the Midwest. Doesn't go down very well there. Uh, anyway, she's uppity and ambitious, uh, so she'll be out front. Wait till she gets to uh, Florida and some of these other states, New York, uh, when they really, you know, the crowd that the, she's pandering for really love a good war. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that pans out. How long will she survive? Is she going to broker a vice presidential pick on the Trump ticket, some kind of a peace deal? I don't think so. I don't think that's possible, but hey, anything's possible. They could tell Trump, you select her or Pompeo or you're not gonna be president. It's as simple as that. That's kind of how things work at the high levels in the backroom deals that are cut. But anyway, on the issue of the weather, back to the weather, icy weather has blanketed the U.S. heartland over the weekend. Arctic storms are breaking records for low temperatures right across the Midwest in the United States. So the cold and the snow are spreading, and it's going to be a coast-to-coast -coast chill coming up in January and February. So this is uh, right on the eve of the Martin Luther King long weekend, and you're starting to see the salt trucks are out, the chains are out, the blizzards have begun uh, as far as Oregon and right across down to New Mexico, uh, over through Iowa and all these other Midwestern states. They're also due to get hit with some snow as well. Uh, so this is how it's going to play out, folks. So record, another record-breaking winter. So I guess, and this is obviously long extended winters going into April. Why is this a problem? Because it cuts into uh, the spring growing season and of course will affect the harvests later in the summer and the fall. So that's just the reality. Food security is an issue and global warming is not bad for food security. Global warming is bad for a lot of things, well, not really. It's not bad for food growth and CO2 production and so forth. So here we have this dilemma again. Global cooling is bad for food security. 
So, and this is what we've seen the last couple of years. It's forced the U.S. buyers to go out for other export sources as uh, U.S. growers have missed the harvesting season uh, on a number of major crops in major areas uh, more than once. So something to be worried about anyway. So we're getting reports on this, Nebraska as well, Montana. These all are states that are going to get hit hard with record-breaking snowfall. So there we are. It's always good that this happens, especially during Davos, uh, when all they're talking about is climate change. Still, the narrative is wearing extremely thin, unfortunately. So I don't think they're going to get much traction out of this. We talked about Davos pricing everybody out of the market, including the Swiss. But uh, back to another issue, which I think is interesting. I talked about the AI uh, before the break on the uh, first hour and uh, British politics. Some crafty consultant in Westminster has decided that uh, and uh, British politics. Some crafty consultant in Westminster has decided that uh, British ministers need to use AI to read all of their documents, Uh, the documents they don't have time to read because they're too busy. They're too busy. Busy doing what? Uh, Running around raising campaign funds? Who knows? Anyway, officials are now relying on AI technology to read reports and to prioritize information as those reports. So these are jobs that their forefathers in government did regularly as part of the job they had to read and understand things no longer you've got ai now and so mp uh, sarah olney uh in britain uh she's basically said uh we're in danger of having a country run by robots basically members of the british government have outsourced traditional jobs like reading policy papers is hard stuff uh to re- use experimental ai tech and conservative MP Alex Burgart uh, told a press conference about this uh, over the late week there on Thursday, uh, as well as eliminating the workload of these poor MPs that uh, are doing better than ever, by the way, uh, in terms of salary and perks. But uh, Bogart said that AI could put thousands of civil servants out of work. We're talking about staffers, policy staffers, uh, university graduates, interns. These are all people. This is a system that you get into government out of Cambridge or Oxford or Edinburgh or UCL or whatever. You go, you, you go into government as an intern, as a staffer. Your job, as have been the case in the previous years, previous generations, your job is to read those papers, to digest them, to understand them, and then to report to your superior about what are the key points to focus on there. There's a discussion, and then they're better informed about making policy decisions. And then those staff, those interns, those political staffers, then go on to be uh, elected representatives or in ministerial positions themselves. So having that whole pedigree in their 20s and in their 30s of reading, understanding, knowing policy backwards and forwards, prepares them to be the next generation of politicians. Now, they're not the best. I grant you that. They're not the best right now. They are corrupt. They are inadequate. Many of them are completely clueless as to what they're doing uh, in government. But still, still, there are some that are still functioning and have a background of having read things and are literate. If you take away that whole precursor to the political pecking order, 
uh, then and put that into the hands of AI, then what are you going to be left with after 10 or 20 years? You're going to, you're not going to have any qualified policy people. So then you're going to have to have an AI app that does the policy directives that creates the policies themselves. So the AI reads the policy papers. How about this? Chat GPT writes the policy papers and the AI app reads them and then summarizes those AI created policy papers. And then another AI app formulates the policy based on those policies, based on the policy paper generated by chat GPT. So then I ask you this question, what do we do with the politicians at this point? How long till the politicians get replaced by an AI? Have you ever seen that uh, great 80, one of my favorite all time great eighties TV shows, science fictions was Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And the council of this futuristic city in the 25th century uh, were basically AI uh, sort of computers that people wore around their necks, or they just had them sort of assembled on plinths, uh, like Dr. Theopolis, who was in charge, who was the handler of uh, Buck Rogers in that TV show, like literally AI government, AI council. And I can see how they would sell this in the future. They're infallible. They don't make mistakes. Uh, we've got these corrupt politicians. They're not good at maths. They don't do statistics. Let's just get rid of them. They're risky. They make bad decisions. We'll get a super AI avatar to do that job for us, risk-free, absolutely brilliant on economics, literally has a brain like Wikipedia, as corrupt as Wikipedia. And that's it. That's your solution going forward. Sounds like crazy sci-fi, doesn't it? Well, let's have a chat in 10 or 20 years and you'll see how crazy that idea was. Let's uh, get ready to take a break in a minute. But um, when we do, uh, what we're going to do is something uh, hopefully a little bit different. If we can make this connection, uh, it will be excellent. We're going to go on the ground in the occupied territories uh, in Palestine. Specifically, we're going to try to connect with our guest uh, in the West Bank, uh, Issa Ambro, joining us on the live link here at TNT. We're going to try to make this work. Uh, we've been uh, working behind the scenes to try to put this together. I think it's going to be a great segment if we can make it work. But uh, so fingers crossed uh, with all luck and everything falling into place, this will happen. So we'll be connecting with that guest in just a few minutes. So you don't want to miss this segment coming up. And we'll also uh, send another alert out on our social media feed so people know about this. We'll go live in just a few minutes, hopefully with Issa Ambro, Palestinian activist. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening and watching TNT, today's news talk. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. The light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. 
No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk. Plug in. Website TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're now our number two, this live broadcast. And as I said uh, before the break, we're going to try to connect a very special guest, Palestinian activist on the ground in the West Bank, Isa Ambro. Hopefully, we'll get him on for this next segment. So, we'll probably be coming in hot on this because uh, we're working on the connections uh, behind the scenes right now as we speak. We've got uh, some of our best people trying to put that together. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic segment if we can. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I want to talk about, uh, as we wait for Isa to try to make that connection, uh, I want to talk about a great analytical piece uh, here. Uh, this is from uh, Morad uh, Zaidi Ghazadi, uh, who is the president of the Middle East Studies Center uh, in a visiting lecture at HSE University in Moscow. And uh, the headline of his paper is very interesting, very provocative. Will the gates of hell be opened up in the Middle East? So he's talking about the U.S.-led attacks against Yemen's Ansar Allah, a.k.a. the Houthis. That term, the Houthis, is completely ridiculous, but that's what they put uh, right across the U.S. media. That's what politicians use. It's kind of used to sort of narrow down and demean uh, the Yemenis who are fighting for independence <laughs> in their country from uh, the Western and Saudi control of the South. U.S. and its allies are trying to break up Yemen. That's what they did. Obama started the project uh, in March 2015, and they want to break Yemen up into multiple pieces to make it first a dysfunctional country, but mainly to take control of the uh, southwestern tip of the country because that controls the Babo Mendeb Straits. And that was the objective uh, behind Obama coaxing Saudi Arabia and a young MBS who was only 33 at the time, just a kid, uh, convinced him to wage this war against Yemen. And it's a long-term project to basically uh, achieve regime change in Yemen, which they have done, and split the country in two, possibly three parts, very similar to the uh, operation to break up and destroy Libya. Uh, which the United States and Britain spearheaded. The U.S. and Britain are spearheading the breakup of Yemen, but they ran into some resistance uh, in the form of the Houthis uh, back in 2015. And uh, Ansar Allah, a.k.a. the Houthis, have built a pretty formidable fighting force uh, in the years during this conflict with Saudi Arabia. They've taken the best shot of the United States and its so-called coalition, uh, to the point now they're exerting uh, influence and force on the global scene uh, by demanding Israel stop the genocide and they're going to basically seize any Israeli ships, providing any material support or owned by or doing business with Israel uh, as it passes through the Red Sea. And the United States have basically had a vicious reaction to this. Uh, they've come back and basically said, nope, that's not going to happen. Uh, we're going to bomb Yemen as a, as a result. So this is... Uh, kind of a crisis moment here and this uh our author here uh murad uh zaidi Ghazadi, is basically saying this is the next step towards a full-blown regional war and this is what a lot of people believe it does look like this is what's happening 
in the United States is uh, positioning Ansar Allah in Yemen as being an Iranian proxy, uh, when in reality uh, they are anything but uh, incredibly independent. And they're trying to recapture uh, control of their own country. Uh, it's a theme we've seen throughout history. And it's going to prevent a, a long-term resolution to the Israel-Palestine crisis. That's what the U.S. launching this latest war is designed to do. It's designed to preserve whatever Israel is attempting to do in Gaza and beyond. That's just a reality of the situation here. And he's saying in the first month of 2024, as well as previous few years, were marked by further escalations in the Middle East. It's true. This time, the United States and the UK have conducted military operations against the Houthis in Yemen. Washington used its fighter jets and Tomahawk cruise missiles to strike areas controlled by the movement, killing five Houthi fighters and injuring six. The U.S. President Joe Biden said the operation was in response to, quote, unprecedented attacks by the Houthis on international maritime vessels in the Red Sea. That's completely misleading by Biden. That's my comment. Uh, it's not on international maritime vessels, not generally, only Israeli. In effect, I'll say it once, I'll say it again. Yemen has sanctioned Israel, and they're very clear and very precise about it. So you see a lot of propaganda in the Western media saying Yemeni just attacking any ships willy-nilly, and we got to put those Arabs down because they're out of control. That's the general U.S. narrative. I know it's based. It's pretty narrow. It's pretty simplistic. Uh, the Houthi rebels, you know, just just that that term alone, just boiling them down to the Houthi rebels is completely ridiculous. So they're calling for an end to the genocide in Gaza. They're saying until Israel stops the genocide, until we get a ceasefire, we are going to interdict Israeli ships coming through our territorial waters. These are Yemeni territorial waters. So the U.S.-U.K. coalition attack on Yemen, the bombing run they did over the weekend, uh, was condemned by the Houthis, who vowed to retaliate. The movement spokesperson, Mohammed Abdul Salam, said the strikes were blatant aggression and would not go unanswered. This also raised concerns about potential wider regional conflict. Of course, this is true. This is true. This has very much the potential to spill over to the Straits of Hormuz already. Countries like Oman, neighboring Yemen, who half, have half control of the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, they're basically saying no overflight. And I assume they mean for Western, Western Air Force uh, to do bombing runs in Yemen. So they're not allowing any of their airspace to be used by America. That could also apply to Iran as well if they chose to fly over to assist the Houthis, because that would be interesting, wouldn't it? An Iranian no-fly zone over Yemen. Imagine that. Then we have something, <laughs> something kicking off uh, in a big, big way. Don't think that these things are impossible, because in the past, um, they have been... These things that you would consider to be completely improbable, to be completely impossible today. You're just waving your your hands, shaking your head, saying, no, that's insane. What are you talking about, Patrick? No, yo, that could be possible. An Iranian-enforced no-fly zone over Yemen. Okay, And what would the international community reaction be? Well, we know the U.S. and Britain and Israel would say, oh, you can't do that. Uh, but the United States has done the same thing 
uh, and they used it to destroy a country. They use it to, to completely decap decapitate and destroy, destroy the country of Libya. Uh, that happened beginning in 2011. So we all saw that. That's history. Look at Libya now. It's a failed state. Uh, if Iran intervened to impose a no-fly zone over Yemen, uh, this wouldn't be done to destroy Yemen. It would be done to preserve the country, which is currently uh, being broken up uh, by the United States, the UAE. Uh, Saudi Arabia certainly are complicit in this. They helped to wage the war against Yemen uh, since 2015, which they backed off a lot because the Yemenis have attacked Saudi oil refineries. So, of course, that gave a Saudi a reason for pause to sit back and reflect, is this worth it to go along with a proxy war to be used by the United States as their own private cudgel in the region? Certainly the UAE, U.S. must have them over a barrel. Uh, the United Arab Emirates are occupying the Yemeni strategic island of Socotra, which is also one of the eighth wonders of the world in terms of natural beauty. Who knows how long that will last as it's being turned into a military unsinkable aircraft carrier uh, in the region. So the British and the Americans are backing this occupation by the UAE. This is Yemen sovereign territory, the island of Socotra, right there as you get approach, as you approach into uh, the sea there, approaching the Red Sea, in the Balbo Mendeb Straits, you have these various islands, which are Yemeni territory. These are being used as bases by the West. This was always the game from the beginning, and this will remain the game going forward. And we've talked about this. We've warned about this being possible. Uh, and now we're starting to see the real end game coming into fruition here. So anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to keep an eye on this. Obviously, we'll give some further uh, comment on it as well. And uh, still no word. Uh, we're still hoping for, uh, we get a little signal, hopefully, from one of our producers uh, in the in the chat here, uh, on the production chat, to give us a little bit of an update on the status of our guest, uh, Issa Amro. We haven't heard anything uh, in about 15 minutes. So we'll continue uh, to try to get some uh, indication of whether uh, this guest is going to be joining us uh, from Palestine. So still no sign uh, yet of our guest. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll get some movement on that. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, in the meantime, let's take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Kenningson, your host. And when we come back, we'll continue our coverage of world events and more on the other side. Stay right there. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community, and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. 
Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They faced exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT, today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for rejoining us. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Uh, we're going to run through to the top of the hour, right to the end of the show. Very pleased to be joined on the line right now by a very special guest. Uh, he's an activist in Palestine, in the occupied territories. He's joining us uh, live right now on the line. Isa Ambro, thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Uh, thank you for inviting me to speak to your audience. No, we really appreciate it, Isa. And and considering the conditions right now, I know uh, things are you know, very, very difficult, the conditions uh, right now in the West Bank as well, of course, in Gaza. But uh, thank you for coming. And Isa, uh, I'll give you the floor. Just uh, if you can just introduce yourself and uh, just to explain to our uh, audience um, what is happening right now uh, in Palestine and what people, how people are feeling right now especially over the last 100 days. But go ahead, Isa. Yes, thank you very much. The situation since uh, uh, 100 days in Palestine is really crazy. Uh, uh, you know, Israeli soldiers uh, and Israeli settlers in the West Bank are uh, making the life of the Palestinians uh, horrible. So there is an, a kind of unannounced war, unannounced displacement policy for the Palestinians in the West Bank. We all know what's going on in Gaza. I can even update. But uh, what's going on in, in the West Bank that the Israeli military 
uh, you know, uh, set up checkpoints. So all the cities, the Palestinian communities, towns, villages are dis disconnected from e each other. There is no continuity. Checkpoints uh, everywhere. They close the roads. They close the the, the streets. And uh, Israeli military uh, arrested more than five thousand Palestinians since October seventh. Uh, two thousands of them are in administrative detention. It means uh, in 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 jail without a trial. A uh, few of them are journalists, uh, activists, uh, community leaders. Uh, people writing on solidarity with Gaza on, on Facebook. So there is a huge amount of arrest. At the same time, during the arrest, during any kind of detention, Israel soldiers beat up Palestinians, torture Palestinians. Me, personally, I was tortured and beaten on October 7th for doing nothing because I'm an activist and a human rights defender. On the other hand, raid, uh, city raid. The Israeli army is raiding the Palestinian cities, the Palestinian villages, the Palestinian refugee camps all over West Bank, and they kill without any kind of uh, accountability and without any kind of the normal army instructions. Uh, the Israeli army in the West Bank is acting as militia. Today, in Dura, a, villa, a city next to, to where I live, <clears throat> and it's part of Hebron uh, uh, region, they killed two Palestinians, they shot them, one woman and one teenager, without, you know, being active in anything. They just shoot live ammunition toward the houses, to the streets, to people walking, and we saw many videos of elders being killed, uh, kids being killed. Uh, today, a woman, uh, a woman, uh, university student, uh, she was uh, killed uh, for, you know, she was in her house even. Uh, and on the other hand, Israeli settler violence. In Area C, uh, the Israeli settlers are attacking Palestinian farmers, attacking Palestinian uh, properties. Uh, the settlers joined the army and they have uh, weapons. Uh, Israeli national security minister, his name is Tamar Bingwer, he's one of the most fanatic uh, extreme uh, settlers. Uh, and the West Bank is from Hebron, announced proudly that he distributed 50,000 rifles to the Israelis, and mainly it's his followers. So he's creating another kind of uh, militia uh, against uh, unarmed Palestinians uh, living in, uh, in the West Bank. Since October 7th, Palestinian, the majority of Palestinians in the West Bank didn't go to work uh, in, inside Israel or even in the, in the West Bank. Uh, no universities, no schools, almost. Uh, so we don't live a normal life. I'm talking about uh, the West Bank. The economy is affected. The Palestinian Authority is not able to pay the salaries for its employee because the Israeli finance minister, who is a settler too, is refusing to give the Palestinian Authority the tax money, which Israel collect uh, from the export and the import of Palestinian uh, goods. And that's the situation in the West Bank. In Gaza, you know what's going on. Uh, we are talking about 24,000 Palestinians being killed. Uh, the majority of them are children and uh, women, unfortunately. And Israel is even now refusing any kind of international pressure to ceasefire or to uh, sit on the table to negotiate 
uh, about a peaceful re resolution to end the war and have a better future for all. And would you say, uh, Isa, I mean, I know in the past, uh, you know, before October 7th, that uh, the Israeli uh, military forces would somehow restrain the armed settlers a little bit, at least to prevent them from hunting down or attacking unarmed Palestinian civilians in the West Bank, for instance, uh, the, these aggressive settlers who are armed and Palestinians are unarmed, the the the, the Palestinian civilians, the, the, arm, the Israeli army would at least at some point point prevent them from you know having carte blanche as they say in france to go and attack uh palestinians but after october 7th have you seen the the israeli military stop doing this in other words they're letting the armed settlers to attack uh palestinians more freely is do you think this is uh is it is it is that what's happened since october 7th it, what what is happening in the west bank that armed settlers in an army uniform or without army uniform with soldiers they attack palestinians so they mm. so they attack together and they escort okay. them <clears throat> and they don't prevent the settlers from attacking in the past it was so and so sometimes they prevent sometimes they don't now mm. we suffer from the soldiers and the settlers who even joined the army you know settlers they they are in an army uniform and sometimes they are part in the of the army and sometimes they are not part of the army by themselves, they just wear their army uniform and they go to the field and attack Palestinians, kill Palestinians, vandalize Palestinian land, dismiss Palestinians from their their land. This is the situation. I'm I'm talking about. There is a militia in the occupied territories who are, uh, you know, uh, army and and settlers. Today in Dura, next to Hebron, two Palestinians were killed. Soldiers were acting as militia, not as a normal soldiers, not mm -hmm. as the Israeli army old uh, instructions to shoot they shoot live ammunition toward everybody they shoot uh, people who are not involved of any kind of uh, violence they don't allow ambulances they shoot toward journalists uh, they sprayed uh, the star of david on palestinian homes after they raid it this is an army this is the army behavior i'm not talking about settlers Right. So it's just they've removed any sort of uh, restraint, uh, any sort of code of conduct or anything like this. It's just a free for all. Uh, this is uh, very much the reports we've seen from other parts of the West Bank uh, as well, Isa, and uh, the 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 town of uh, of Hebron as well. It's particularly extreme uh, over the years. And just tell us how things have developed there over the years, how it's gotten worse. Uh, the scenes we've seen uh, from there have been incredible. Uh, the settlers uh, taking homes of Palestinians, literally marching in and kicking people out of their homes, stealing their homes, their property. Is this something that has increased over the years? Explain to us how things have changed recently. Uh, the Israeli settlers are, uh, you know, living in Hebron city, inside the city. It's the second city after Jerusalem, where Israeli settlers are living inside the city uh, among Palestinians. So because of the presence of uh, a few hundred Israeli settlers, the Israeli army closed more than, uh, you know, 1,000 Palestinian houses, 1,800 shops, uh, 22 checkpoints, 100, 100 movement uh, barriers in the city center of Hebron. We have the, we have a street called uh, Shuhada Street. It's the main street. It's as Oxford Street in London. It was uh, very famous, crowded of 
customers after the Ibrahimi Mosque massacre, which was, uh, you know, done by Baruch uh, Goldstein, who's a follower of Ma'ir Kahana, Kah movement. Now, this movement is part of the Israeli government. Itamar Bingbir was part of this movement, was part of uh, Baruch uh, Goldstein, uh, you know, ideology. And now, mm-hmm. now they are government, they are mainstream. This is the main issue. This is the main issue that the, 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 the criminals and the, the terrorists uh, who uh, killed 29 Palestinians and injured hundreds and everybody in the world uh, outlawed them and uh, denounced them, they are part of the Israeli government. This is why we see this kind of uh, massacres in Gaza because the Israeli government is full of racist and extremist and fascist uh, Israeli settlers. So since that, the Ibrahim Mosque massacre, they closed the Shohada street, they closed the markets, they closed the, they seized the mosque area, they divided the mosque. Then 1997, we had a redeployment agreement, peace agreement between Netanyahu government and the Palestinian Authority. They divided the city for each one, Hebron one, under the Palestinian security control and each two under the Israeli military control. And they were talking about two years till uh, we have the two-state solution and Hebron will be part of Palestine and the settlers will be taken out of uh, Hebron, the Israeli fanatic settlers. Unfortunately, the second intifada started because the Israeli government refused to give up land and to give Palestinian authority authority. They wanted them authority without an authority. And this is the reality now that the Palestinian authority is without any kind of authority. They are subcontractor of the Israeli occupation now. After the second intifada, the Israeli military revoked the agreements and they, they implemented what suits them. They closed the shops, they closed the markets, they closed the streets, they closed neighborhoods in the city center of Hebron. And uh, by time, they take over houses and houses and houses. And they add now they are building 31 new units during the war. They are building 31 new units in the city center, which means they will increase the settlers' uh, presence in the Hebron around 25%. It means they will create facts in the ground to divide the city more. To uh, We will have more violence, more checkpoints, more army because of the presence of the 31 new units, which will be added to the old uh, units, which we had uh, before uh, October 7th. So, so effectively, that uh, ethnic cleansing uh, is being engineered uh, in the West Bank, uh, in Hebron, and other locations. This is actually a policy of ethnic cleansing. That's what it sounds like, um, Isa, when you describe it. Would you say it's safe to say that's the case? It's it's absolutely the case. They don't evict you directly from your house physically. They don't come and take you out from your house, but they make it impossible for you to stay and remain. How they make it impossible for you to stay uh, and remain? Security. You don't feel safe in your house. You don't feel safe about your family, your kids, your your uh, friends, your neighbors, because of the settler violence and because of the, because of the army violence, because of the continuous intimidation, army raid, and settlers, they attack you, they attack your property, they they, they steal your, your, your belonging. Then no social life. How there is no social life? The area is closed. Checkpoints, so no visitors, uh, no parties, you can't stay late, so you have no social life in your community. And we know that, you know that we are, without social life, we can't survive in Palestine as uh, as it's it's part of our culture and part of our daily life. No services, craftspersons, plumber, electrician, any kind of maintenance, it's impossible to do it. 
doctors, engineers, uh, they need a special permit to come in to the area. Municipality services needs need to be coordinated by the Israeli army. So no services, no social life, and no security. So people leave their homes, unfortunately. And this is why we have around 40% of the houses unit inside H2 in Hebron are empty from the Palestinians. So then settlers moved in to these empty houses and they try to steal. Each year they steal a house or two and they get in and they just uh, start, uh, uh, you know, bringing more settlers to the city. Also, uh, I want you to comment on on the uh, reprisals. Uh, we've had reports of, and we've also had people on this program, uh, for social media posts. Uh, they have been uh, harassed, in some cases arrested, by the Israeli military in the West Bank for saying something on Facebook, for instance, or saying something in the media. You've been very uh, brave and outspoken, uh, especially on X Twitter and some of these social media platforms. You're showing videos of what's happening on the ground. Uh, you're documenting a lot of things, uh, talking to people, spreading the information about the true state of affairs uh, in the West Bank. Um, what is this atmosphere like? Uh, can you uh, can you corroborate some of these reports? We've even had uh, some people who've been intimidated as well for speaking to the media. What what can you tell us about this free speech environment in the occupied West Bank? Uh, go ahead, Isa. We don't have anything free in, in the West Bank. We are occupied, restricted, intimidated, and uh, our voices are shut off. The Israeli military for two months prevented media to come to my house. They didn't allow BBC to come to my house. They didn't allow CNN Digital to come and report from my house and understand how we live as uh, Palestinians. So we are, our voices are shut off. And it's almost impossible to speak because uh, the Israeli military may arrest you, may soldiers may beat you up. I was detained many times, arrested, ill-treated for because of my voice, because of my peaceful voice. Because I'm, I'm saying we want to make peace with the Israelis. We want to end the occupation by a peaceful political solution. And we live together and we recognize each other. But they don't want that. They want Israel to be from the river to the sea without the Palestinians. They don't want to listen to Palestinians. They want. They don't want Palestinian voices to reach to the British audience, to the Jewish, uh, the, the diaspora, Jewish communities. They, because they don't want us to uh, reach to these communities and communicate them and talk to them uh, about peace. So they don't want Palestinian voices. They don't want us to document the human rights violations. And anybody writes on Facebook and social media, uh, anywhere, talk to international media will be blacklisted, which means that you will be stopped, uh, detained at any checkpoint. And now there are checkpoints everywhere in the West Bank. You don't get permit, work permit. You will be, you know, really in a bad situation. Or will be arrested. I have uh, our spokesperson, my uh, organization, Friends of Hebron and Youth Against Settlement, is in jail now because of speaking in solidarity with Gaza in a peaceful way. Many other Palestinian journalists in West Bank are in jail now. Uh, in Hebron itself, around 20 journalists are in jail. Uh, in Gaza, more than 100 uh, journalists being killed since October 7th, journalists. So they are targeting journalists in Gaza, they are targeting journalists and activists, and they don't want the Palestinian voices to reach out. 
they want to be uh, the only voice uh, in the region. Yeah, because the the what what we keep hearing uh, time and time again, Isa, especially in the U.S. Uh, media, Western media, Britain, in Europe, that Israel is the only democracy, the only democracy in the Middle East, and therefore that's why the United States must support uh, the state of Israel because they're preserving democratic values uh, in the Middle East among all these non-democratic authoritarian Arab countries. That's the basic idea uh that you read in in american media and european media how, how would you respond uh to uh, somebody who's uh describing that narrative uh isa uh, israel is the only apartheid state in the middle east as a palestinian i live uh, next uh, settlers live next to my house the israeli settlers are under the israeli civilian law with full political rights, civilian rights, uh, human rights. Me, Isa, I am under the Israeli military law. I am guilty until I'm proving uh, innocent. So by law, I'm guilty until I prove that I'm innocent. Nonviolence resistance, according to the Israeli military law, is not allowed. And I was arrested many times for my non-violence uh, activities. Uh, and the settlers are living with quality life on the expense of our basic human rights. So when you have two sets of law in the same area for different people, that it's apartheid. So how democracy, I didn't vote to choose Netanyahu who's controlling me, who's ruling me, who's uh, controlling import, export, water, electricity for uh, for me. So you can say that Israel is a democracy only for the Jews, even inside uh, 48, inside Israel, the Palestinian communities, they don't have equal rights with their uh, Jewish neighbors, and there is a, a the nation state law distinguish Jews from others in, in Israel, unfortunately. And uh, Israel is occupying another country, and if Israel is occupying us, it means it's apartheid and occupation. But this is how we define Israel. We don't define it define it as democracy. You know, and uh, we, the Palestinians, we had democracy, and the international community refused our democracy democracy result. And if you want to talk about democracy, there is democracy in Iran. There is democracy in Turkey. Why they don't talk about them too, you know? And the Arab countries, they do fake election and they say democracy, the same, it's in Israel. And these countries, they are uh, allies of the West. They are, they, you know, the, the Arab community, the Arab, uh, you know, leaders, they are very close friends of the Europeans and the British government administration and the American administration. And also, I've uh, got a couple of minutes left, Isa. Thank you for that comment, too. I think it's important that people hear uh, the, uh, an alternative explanation to something that they read every day uh, in the Western mainstream press. But uh, last week, South Africa, the country of South Africa, uh, came to the International Courts of Justice in The Hague and made a presentation on behalf of the Palestinian people against Israel, condemning Israel for charges of genocide um, in Gaza. I wanted to get your reaction of this. How How is this being received uh, among Palestinians? And I know you're in touch with people all around the world because of your activism. Uh, just tell us um, how this is, has this affected uh, things in a positive way? What, what's been the reaction? How do you feel about this? We, the Palestinians and our supporters all over the world, they believe in the international law. And we believe that the international law uh, must be implemented on everybody. So 
we want Israel to be accountable according to the international law. So the international uh, treaties, the international uh, institutions, the UN must make us and Israel accountable. Unfortunately, for very long time, the Western countries, Britain, uh, you, you know, uh, Europe and uh, the United States were not allowing Israel uh, to uh, be accountable by the uh, international law and the international uh, courts and uh, Israel felt that uh, it's beyond the law and there were double standards. We all saw how the uh, international community and the UN, and it's great and I'm, I'm supporting that, reacted to Russia uh, uh, raid of Ukraine. I'm, I'm, against, I'm against Russian uh, occupying Ukraine but we are the same. We are occupied by the Israelis and uh, Putin was announced uh, as war criminal and they summoned him to the International Criminal Court. This must be the case of Netanyahu and uh, the majority of the Israeli leaders who are now uh, committing uh, genocide, genocide and, and they are announcing it in the media. You know, it's not something you need to, to search. They are announcing their soldiers are videotaping themselves and, uh, and, and, and distributing it in, on social media and TikTok and all over the world. The genocide is is, there is no need to investigate. It's proven by Israeli leaders talking about it, saying it, and Israeli soldiers implementing it on the ground in Gaza. And the results, the, how many people are starving. We don't want to talk about the people who are killed. We're talking about the people who are starving, who don't have food, enough food to survive. In, 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 in the northern part of uh, Gaza, thousands of people running uh, after trucks of food to eat, and the soldier killed three, uh, three, three of them yesterday. So people are starving. They don't have clean water to to drink. There is no gas, no fuel, no medical aid because of Israel. Because Israel closed all the borders, and they don't allow any kind of food to get into to Gaza. For us, we believe in nonviolence resistance. We believe in the international law, and we believe that the international, you know. Uh, Criminal court will make them uh, accountable, and uh, and the uh, ICJ will make Israel accountable. And to be very honest, it was great. We had more hope. We were very uh, optimistic about uh, the results. And thanks to South Africa, and we hope all the countries in the world make all of us, everybody, any offender in the world, accountable on those and the courts, uh, the highest courts in, in the world, because this is how we can uh, prove uh, who's right and who's wrong. No, and it's it's. Uh, I think the effects have been far-reaching. I think they'll probably continue to be far-reaching because the process is just going to continue. It'll move to the United Nations forum uh, as well. So I think a lot of people are uh, a lot of people are happy to see at least for once uh, that the Palestinian issue could be explained in detail to a global audience on a major institutional platform total focus that people have listening to the presentation not interfered with uh through political attacks and so forth in a way that only south africa could do at this time in history uh and they've done it i think this is a great uh step forward i hope and we all hope uh isa that this will lead to more positive outcomes uh politically and will give other countries the courage to look at this uh, issue in this situation uh, for what it truly is uh, and not uh, 
looking at it through the lens of propaganda, which has been a big, big problem, I think, uh, for Palestinians uh, in how their issue, how the situation has been portrayed uh, in the global media for a very, very long time. Uh, we just have a minute left. I want to give you the stage, Isa, for your final comments for our audience before we break at the top of the hour. Go ahead, Isa Ambro. Uh, I want to thank you and uh, to thank all the people who are uh, protesting for uh, Palestine, for justice, for freedom, for the civilians in Gaza and in, 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 in West Bank. And I will tell everybody who is really contributing to the Palestinian uh, cause, without you we can't continue, without you we'll, we will be really removed from uh, our land. We promise you that we will not give up, we will stay uh, strong. Uh, calling for peace and justice and equality for everybody, but we need your voice, we need your actions, and we need your solidarity. And uh, thank you very much, and I hope that one day we all meet in a free Palestine and a better future for everybody in this region. Thank you very much, Isa Ambro, a Palestinian uh, human rights activist based in Hebron uh, in the West Bank occupied territories. Joining us on TNT Today's News Talk today. Really appreciate your reporting, Isa. Take care. Good luck. And our prayers, of course, and our uh, uh, we hope for your safety as well going forward. Thank you so much for joining us. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Isa Ambro, Palestinian activist. Look, folks, that was a, a pretty a pretty informative segment, I would say, and we're going to do our best to get uh, more takes uh, from on the ground. These are voices that are not getting platformed in the mainstream media. Isa explained why, uh, because literally the Israeli government's pre preventing even BBC or CNN from coming to his home to film interviews with him uh, in the West Bank about these issues. So while he's being silenced by the Israeli government, not given access to the Western media, we've done our best to try to break through that firewall, to break through that force field and get the facts from on the ground in a place like the occupied territories. Thank you to our producers behind the scenes for helping to arrange that. Everybody on our team, uh, tremendous. And I think it was worth it just to hear his unfiltered opinion and take on what's happening on the ground uh, in Palestine. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And especially thank you to Sam Husseini, American uh, journalist from Washington. DC and Basil Valentine, our intrepid correspondent this week, uh, joining us as well. And to you, our listeners, to you, our audience, thank you for tuning in to TNT. We have a big show tomorrow. It's going to be some big reveals. You don't want to miss it. Same time, same place. I'm Patrick Hennigson, your host. This is TNT, today's news talk. See you guys next time. <laughs>